Hey there, and welcome to the pod for Thursday, February the 4th. Coming up, when and how should non-essential businesses and restaurants reopen? Plus, some apps you might want to consider deleting from your smartphone and a few that you might want to add. As well, a proposed class action lawsuit is brewing over those government demands over CERB repayments. All of that coming up right now on the pod. As we mentioned off the top, the schools back open in Toronto as of February the 16th. Meanwhile, in Quebec, they're announcing the reopening of non-essential business and even some restaurants in certain areas. So what about the small business here in this province? Here's Rocco Rossi, CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. He joins us now on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey there, Rocco. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for shining a light on this, as always. Well, thanks for being here, as always. Uh, The schools, as I mentioned, about to reopen. Is it time we let business do the same? There is nothing we'd like more than to, uh, to reopen, but let's remember the journey that we've gone through. Uh, we paid a huge price in the first lockdown to get the numbers down, then opened um, and only to have this second wave. So what we want to be sure is, yes, we want, uh, we want to uh, reopen, but we want to make sure we don't put ourselves back into the jackpot again so that you go to uh, yet another uh, lockdown that would be devastating. So what are we doing to put in place additional uh, supports to ensure that we can stay open? And we need to see a lot more in the way of testing, particularly rapid testing. A lot of businesses are stepping up and willing to pay for it themselves, being held up. Uh, by Ministry of Health, we need to do that to to, to be able to to uh, open surgically and stay open. We need to do more with tracking and tracing. Everybody needs to download the COVID uh, alert app on their phone so that we can keep any outbreaks uh, contained. Yes, the, 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 there's enormous pain out there, and there's nothing more we want than 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 to reopen. But we want to make sure that we're not just putting ourselves into the same position because clearly with the supply issues on on the vaccine, it's going to be a while until we can get that widespread vaccination, which is the real light at the end of the tunnel. And that is the great catch-22 that we find ourselves in right now because I hear what you're saying is we don't want to be back in the jackpot again. We don't want to be where we were. Having said that, the ultimate answer, of course, is the vaccine, it looks like, and that's not coming for some time. So is small business just to wait till September, till the end of the year? Can they wait that long? They, they can't. We are losing, uh, we are losing members every day. Uh, there's incredible pain, anguish, mental health issues, all kinds of other problems that uh, have arisen. Um, and so government is going to have to step up. Look, if they can't deliver the supplies, um, they, they have to, of the, of the vaccine, they have to understand that the supports have to come and it can't be in the form of more loans. Um, these businesses, just like an individual needs, uh, that CERB check where it's equivalent through EI, uh, businesses are going to need cash to stay alive, to get to the other side, uh, of this and to be able to, uh, to rebuild without looking at a mountain of debt in front of them 
that is forcing more and more businesses each day to go bankrupt. But there's nothing like being open, right? And there's nothing like having a purpose, whether you own a small business or work for a small business, being able to get up day in and day out and go to work and have a purpose to your day. And I'm glad you mentioned the uh, mental health aspect a second ago, Rocco, because we talk about all the all, about this all the time when it comes to students and the mental health impact about not being with their peers and in school and in class. And there really is a cost, a similar cost, when it comes to small business. Jeff, I can't tell you the calls and emails I get every day. People literally in tears. And as you say, that. No one goes into business wanting to collect a check from the government. They do it uh, because they're independently minded people that want to create opportunities for themselves, their family, and everyone else. And, and, and when you take that away, to your point, you've got incredible issues that, that we're dealing with, which is, which is why also wherever it is possible, whether it's ordering in, whether it's when you when you click and you buy online, look for the local uh, business that is doing this. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with Amazon, but quite frankly, it's those local businesses. They're our neighbors. They're, they're the people, you know, funding our local charities. They're the ones uh, that we always lean on and count on in, uh, when we need them. And now they need us more than they've ever needed us before. So that that buy local message is also important. Can't just be about the government. And yes, let's be smart. Let's let's be uh, let's open whatever we can as quickly as we can, but do it in a way with the tools so that we can stay open. Because it would be crushing to have to do this again. What is the key to reopening? Is it what you just mentioned a second ago? Is it rapid testing, making sure that that is available for each and every business and that that can be employed? Is that, do you think, Rocco, the biggest hurdle to reopening and reopening reopening safely? That is an enormous one. This is, look, the only silver bullet to the extent that there is one is widespread vaccination. But short of that, there are a number of steps, and that really is in our control. You know, people say, well, I don't want to sign up for the COVID alert tracking and tracing because I'm worried about privacy. I mean, give your head a shake. The vast majority of those same people are giving way more private information onto uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram than than what they give away with the, the tracking and tracing. And none of those apps is going to help keep the economy open and save lives. Um, so please, 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 it's free. Do it. Your privacy is, is, is protected. That, that helps. The testing, talk to your, uh, email your MPPs. Let's get those rapid tests. Each of the, all of the provinces now have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of rapid tests that were approved, were bought, were shipped aren't being used, need to be used. Nova Scotia is way ahead of us on the deployment of the rapid tests. And they're, they're down to almost no cases because the moment anything pops up, they're right on top of it. We need to be doing that in the province of Ontario. 
Just finally, uh, Rocco, and there's so many similarities here between uh, schools and I think business uh, reopening. And one of the things we heard time and time again when it comes to schools is parents, students, uh, teachers, everybody deserves some certainty. And they were asking for a date and they got that uh, yesterday, February 16th. We know here in Toronto and the other hot spots, schools can reopen for in-class learning. Do small business, small business owners, do they need and do they deserve that same sort of certainty? Do they need to get some sort of reopening date from the government? They are absolutely humans, too, and they want they want certainty. You know, we talked about mental health issues before the pandemic and how serious a problem that is. That was in, quote, unquote, normal times. So the the issues facing... People of all walks of life, um, you know, whether students, teachers, business people, entrepreneurs, employees, union, non-union, it doesn't matter. We all have those same common needs. And so absolutely, yes, but connected as well with additional tools that are going to allow me, once I do open, to stay open. Absolutely. Rocco Rossi, CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. Rocco, appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Stay positive and test negative. You know it. Rocco Rossi there. Well, it's been a while, but it's always nice to connect with our next guest. Here is tech expert Amber Mack is on the line and joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Amber, good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Good to talk with you as always. Uh, we wanted to talk today about uh, apps and the apps that people have got on their uh, phones that uh, maybe are taking up a little too much uh, storage space, uh, too much of your uh, battery life, that sort of thing. This would be like, uh, I know it's early, it's only February, but like a spring cleaning for your mobile phone. Does that sound about right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are lots of apps that are taking up lots of space. And let's be honest, there are apps that uh, we probably don't use regularly that you can get rid of because they can, in fact, slow down your phone. And that's important to think about. So you're right. It is kind of an early spring cleaning, but it's a good idea to go through your apps and, and just tidy them up and get rid of those apps that you are no longer using on a daily basis. Okay, we're going to go down this list published by USA Today, a couple that they say that we should get rid of, and then we'll get to your list of ones that we should definitely have on our mobile phones. But this one seems like an obvious to me, the Flashlight app. Do we really need to be downloading that anymore, Amber? Okay, this is one app that I think you no longer have to download because you're right, pretty much every device over the past through few versions has some type of built-in flashlight. So probably don't have to download that one because you have that already in your device. You know what I keep doing on my iPhone is I accidentally hit that flashlight uh, because it's uh, right there on the uh, cover page now, the front page, and I walk around all day long with it in my back pocket, no idea that the flashlight's on. <laughs> That'll kill your battery, Jeff. Come on. Tell me about it. <laughs> all right. Also something here called bloatware. What is that all about, and why should I take that off my phone if I've got it? Well, there are some really heavy-duty apps that are data-intensive, as an example. So Instagram is one of those apps. If you look at the apps that you use and all of the data that they use, uh, Instagram is one that tends to be a bit of a data hog. So, again, if you're not using apps on a regular basis, it's a good idea to get rid of them. And I think people forget that, hey, if you need them in six months, it's not as though you can't go and download them again. But it's just about maintaining your phone and doing that regular maintenance so that your phone is working uh, as smoothly as it should be. 
Okay, and one of those big data suckers when it comes to social media, of course, is Facebook. And this USA Today article is suggesting that maybe we might want to get rid of that, take that app off our phone. Do we need to? Do you think people are actually going to take Facebook off their phones? You know, I've found over many years of covering technology that people want to to know what you should do and shouldn't do, but there's a lot more nuance to these conversations. And so with Facebook as one example, we have about 50% or more Canadians using Facebook on a regular basis. And I would just say that for a lot of people on Facebook right now, it's the only tool they have to keep in touch with family and friends they can't see in person. Facebook Messenger is a really powerful tool to do conversations, whether it's video or text. So I think you have to approach this one from the standpoint, hey, is this important in my life for communication? And for many people, the answer is yes. If you are worried about privacy and generally you just don't want to be part of the ecosystem, I can understand deleting it. But my parents are in PEI on Facebook, and that's the only way we keep in touch as one example. Right. You know, I found it really interesting what you just said there that uh, more Canadians than ever are on Facebook. That kind of surprises me considering, you know, some of the news Facebook has been embroiled in uh, when it comes to uh, your privacy in, in your data over the last couple of years. And I thought, although they're owned by Facebook now, that a lot of people had maybe migrated over to Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people also don't know that uh, Facebook owns Instagram. They also own WhatsApp, and people forget that. So, yes, a lot of people moving to Instagram, and Facebook tends to skew a little bit older in terms of their audience in Canada and around the world. So I think what we're seeing is sort of the splintering of audiences. TikTok, of course, is a really young audience. Facebook skews older, and probably a lot of those people on Facebook who are older aren't really necessarily thinking about all of the privacy issues that maybe they should consider, uh, but at the end of the day they're using it for different reasons all right let's move off of the apps that you should consider taking off your phone and let's move to some apps that you might want to add some uh, apps that are trending this month uh, here in canada and we're going to start with well this has been all over the news the last uh, week and a half of course uh, the stock market uh, trading uh, stocks with everything going on with the GameStop and some of these other uh, short seller uh, stocks uh what is wealth simple trade amber yeah, I, I think it's worth noting that uh, Wealth Simple Trade is an app that makes it really easy to trade stocks in Canada as well as the U.S. And what I think is interesting is that it started off 2021 as uh, number 39 in the App Store. And over the past week, it has risen to number one, the number one free app in Canada. That is, of course, like you said, many people interested in investing didn't think it was possible for them. But then we hear stories like the GameStop story, where we have all of these people on Reddit, the very popular uh, message board who have come together to drive up the stock price of GameStop. And so I think everybody is realizing that, hey, maybe I can also be an investor and this is an easy way to get in. And it's now the top free app in the country? Yeah, so it's it's been holding on pretty strong to that number one spot. In fact, uh, WellSimple recently told uh, BetaKit that there was a 50% increase in signups. They say that it's not just because of GameStop. They also say that one of the reasons is that it's the pandemic and many people are at home and, and just starting to invest on their own. Yeah, I'm wondering if really I want that at my fingertips. It's kind of like potato chips. I don't have those in the house because <laughs> I don't want to be tempted. And if I can just trade stocks by opening up uh, my phone, that might be a little too easy when it comes to access. And I might want to think twice before I start uh, buying and selling stocks. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. All right. Next on your list is something called Signal. Tell us about that app. 
Yeah, so uh, many people probably use apps like uh, WhatsApp that I just mentioned for messaging back and forth, uh, but perhaps they want something more secure. And we're seeing this rise in apps like Signal. This is an app that allows you to message in an encrypted way. WhatsApp does the same thing, but what's different about Signal is that it was built from the ground up with privacy in mind. When I say encrypted, I don't want to confuse people, so just think about it like this. The message is essentially scrambled. When it goes from me to you, Jeff, it's totally scrambled and only you and I can read it. So that's important to remember. You can also make these messages disappear after a certain amount of time in terms of seconds. And this company is a nonprofit company. And that's worth mentioning because if you want to get away from the Facebook ecosystem, this is one option. Yeah. And speaking of, is this an alternative to WhatsApp? We know it's been all over the news the last couple of weeks and people have been leaving it in droves. Have they been picking up on Signal? Yeah, I mean, that's why I wanted to mention this, because I think we're seeing in the headlines people are leaving WhatsApp because they're worried about the privacy policy and Facebook having access to their data. They're looking for another option. So now we see Signal also, just like Well Simple Trade, that is rising up the ranks in terms of the App Store. All right. And finally on your list, uh, we mentioned uh, Well Simple, which is the top free app in Canada. Tell us about Procreate Pocket, which is the top paid app. Yeah, this is a really wonderful app. It's about $7. It's really for anyone who loves to create and draw. I mentioned this for families at home right now who have an iPhone. This makes it simple for kids to learn how to illustrate and straight and draw with a really powerful tool. I'm also old enough to remember, Jeff, the days of Photoshop that cost, you know, $1,500. The Mm -hmm. fact that you have this much technology in a $7 app and you can do wonderful things is pretty impressive. My son is a big fan of this one. Very, very cool. Amber, thank you so much. Great to connect again uh, with you and appreciate these uh, must-have apps uh, for your cell phone. Thanks so much. Yeah, great chatting with you. Yep, be well, stay safe. The uh, federal government and their mixed messages around CERB and just uh, who is and isn't eligible looks to be the focus of a new proposed class action lawsuit. Some self-employed and retired Canadians believe that they shouldn't have to repay the money that the government says that they were actually ineligible for. And for more on this, here is a lawyer, Mike Osborne. He joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Michael, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good afternoon, Jeff. Glad to be here. All right, let's uh, break this down a a little bit uh, here. What exactly uh, do uh, some of these uh, complainants, what's the uh, basis of this proposed class action uh, suit? So the basis is essentially a matter of what we call statutory interpretation or interpretation of the legislation. <clears throat> the government is saying that uh, only those who had net income, that is your total income less your expenses of uh, $5,000 or more are eligible. Um, but before earlier, they were basically going on gross income, that is your total income or revenue before you deduct any of your expenses as a self-employed person. The, uh, the interesting thing is that the legislation, uh, which is what you, of course, have to look at, uh, doesn't make it clear. It's highly ambiguous. The English version says, refers to total income of at least uh, $5,000. Um, and the um, French version refers to simply revenu, which is income, of $5,000. So there's absolutely no indication in the statute whether this is meant to be gross income or net income. 
Okay, so that's uh, interesting because I wasn't sure whether or not the government kind of uh, the charge was that they changed the rules in the middle of the game here or that it was just open to interpretation and it seems to be the latter. Yeah, well, the government clearly changed the administrative administrative rules, that is, the rules that they were following internally. But so what? I mean, the it's the law, the actual legislation that we have to look at. Um, and that is ambiguous. Uh, it could uh, potentially support either interpretation. All right. So uh, could the government uh, argue in its defense that, uh, hey, listen, maybe all the I's weren't dotted, the T's weren't crossed uh, to the letter perfectly here, but uh, this was a national emergency. We were just trying to get relief to Canadians as quickly as possible and in the most efficient way uh, possible. And it was just upon further review that, uh, unfortunately, in error, some uh, funds were sent to people that really weren't eligible. Um, I mean, they could, but at the end of the day, the court's going to have to to decide what this legislation means in the first place, uh, whether or not uh, the correct number is the gross income or the net income. Uh, and the other thing that they're going to have to decide um, is a claim that uh, has been put in the statement of claim based on what we call an estoppel, which is basically to say, look, you, the government, said that gross income was okay. People relied on that, submitted claims, got the, the $2,000 a month. They spent it. They, they, they needed the money. They spent the money. They don't have the money to pay it back. So you, the government, aren't allowed to. You're stopped from uh, raising this, this interpretation now after the fact when you gave them the wrong information in the first place. All right, so where does this go from here? As I mentioned, it's a proposed class action lawsuit. What does that mean exactly? It hasn't been filed yet, that uh, they're just uh, waiting to see if there's uh, others that want to join this class action? Yeah, so the way it works is you file the statement of claim, and one of the things you seek is what's called certification, where the court decides whether or not this is appropriate to proceed as a class action. Um, if the court does decide that it's appropriate to proceed as a class action, then everybody who's defined as being in the class, which in this case is restricted to retired people who uh, got the CERB and were then later deemed to be ineligible for it, they're automatically a part of the plaintiff class. Uh, now, you'll note that it's only retired people, so non-retired self-employed people who might be in this situation aren't included in the class. Um, that, you know, they'd have to uh, either start a different class action or maybe there's a, uh, going to be a change to the class definition in the class action. Um, or maybe they just sit back and hope that this smaller class wins, in which case the government will effectively be forced to honor that result for everybody. When it comes to a, sorry, I was going to ask, uh, when it comes to a class action suit, Michael, is there strength in numbers? The more people that uh, kind of file a, a claim or sign up to this uh, lawsuit, uh, does it speak louder to the courts? Um, in the private sector, it, it creates a very strong incentive on the defendant to settle because the potential damages uh, go get very big very fast. In the case of the government, I'm not sure it makes a huge difference because if the court decides that the number is gross income, then the government will effectively have to honor that for everybody. Um, the, the use of the class here, though, does have some advantages for the plaintiff because they're into a case-managed proceeding. They're in the federal court. The federal court rules are designed to move class actions quickly. 
Um, and so there are some advantages procedurally uh, for doing this as a class action. And there, there's a certain advantage in terms of settlement, but they're not actually seeking uh, any big damages here. They just are saying, hey, court, tell the federal government not to grab the money back. And do you think that this is a straightforward uh, suit? Is this something that is just a, a matter of uh, reading the uh, statute as it uh, stands? Is it just kind of down to statutory interpretation? Um, it is. It's it's straightforward in principle. It will require lots of lawyers to spend lots of time uh, parsing the language, finding other uses of the word income and total income and so on in other cases and legislation. But in principle, it's a it's a relatively straightforward exercise. In fact, no evidence will be needed for that. They really will just, it's a question of reading the statute and trying to interpret what it says. Okay, so many lawyers getting involved, trying to define exactly what income is or, or means. Uh, should I schedule you back in two years from now? Is that when we should be talking about this being uh, done? So class actions typically move very, very, very slowly in Canada. But there's reason to believe that this one could go faster. Um, in the first place, the federal court has a 90-day clock on what's called the certification motion. Um, and although that clock can be delayed, there, there's every reason to believe that it, they'll try to bring it on fast here. So, um, you know, in a normal class action, I'd say let's talk in five or ten years. In this case, I think this one may well move quite quickly. There's a lot of uh, public interest in it, for one thing. Yeah, without a doubt. Michael, really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for breaking this down for us. Thanks, Jeff. All right, stay well. There's uh, Michael Osborne. He is a partner in the litigation and competition and foreign investment groups at Castles, Brock, and Blackwell. Joining us regarding, again, this proposed class action suit. It's going to be really interesting to watch this as it uh, moves forward, as a lot of uh, mostly retired Canadians are saying, uh, wait, government, not so fast when it comes to trying to claw back the SERB, uh, that emergency relief uh, program, those uh, payments that you gave out in 2020.